when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And good morning, 1850-333-103. Lines are open. Bernie takes your calls this morning and comments. You can always text or WhatsApp 86 103 You can tweet us at C103Cork or email jp at c103.ie. With you until one. Patricia still feeling sick this morning. A sore throat. You know that chest affection, sore throat thing that is going around. She has picked up that. But hopefully we'll be back with us on Monday. So I'm with you until one. And ahead on the show, we are going to hear from Brian Crowley. Brian Crowley has now, uh, since yesterday, has said that he is not seeking election in May for the European Parliament. He spoke with us yesterday and we'll hear the reason why he is not going forward for the European Parliament and also various questions that was put to him by reporters when he spoke yesterday afternoon at the Rochestown Park Hotel. He also spoke to our own C103, Fiona Cochran, and we'll speak with Fiona shortly on the programme as well. Over the last few years, uh, there has been a lot of interest in the future of that particular seat in the EU from Ireland South. A lot of people asking questions about Brian Crowley for the simple reason uh, that he was ill and he wasn't attending the sittings obviously enough if he was ill in Brussels or in Strasbourg and people were questioning the fact that uh, should he be there? Are we losing out? Even though he was still um, working from his hospital bed uh, with Brexit and everything going on people were wondering well how is Ireland South being represented if he's not there even though as you will hear from him later he was still working be that though from his hospital bed. Anyhow, we'll hear from Brian this morning on the programme. And why should the state provide breathalysers for each household? Well, it's something that has been spoken about over the last week. And yesterday, the Kerry Deputy Michael Healy Ray has come out and he feels that the state should provide breathalysers for every household in the state following all the changes in the last year or so when it comes to laws surrounding drink driving. So your views on that are welcome. Uh, do you agree with him? Or don't you agree with them? Do you think everybody should be given a breathalyzer in every household? or each household at least anyhow provided with a breathalyzer so in the event of a morning after you've been out the night before and you were drinking the heavily that night before uh, that you know if you're fit or not fit to drive or do you simply feel it goes back to common sense uh, and it's an issue that is going on and on and on back to common sense that, that if you are out you know you're going somewhere the next morning well then 
cut back on the drinking and you won't have to worry about if you or if you are not over the limit the next morning. Your views on that are welcome. Also, it seems that this year we are going to have a lot more house repossessions. It's coming uh, from the High Court. We'll be discussing that with David Hall from the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. And it would seem, and, and obviously within the Mortgage Holders Organisation, they're dealing firsthand with people who were in trouble paying back their mortgages. But it does seem that even though we thought you'd have less this year, there were so many over the last number of years, unfortunately, that there will be less proceedings from banks against homeowners this year. No, it seems that there will be a lot more this year. We'll hear why and indeed what can be done to protect those who are trying their best to pay back their mortgage but are finding it tough with high rates, high mortgages and indeed a lot of people who have suffered wage decreases over the last number of years and they have not for many come up to pre-recession level. We'll hear and speak about that this morning. Your views are welcome. We're also going to hear about a new group being set up in Middleton and this is a men's positive living group. Uh, We'll hear why that is actually being set up and who is it targeting to attend that particular group. We're going to the movies with Mark and much more to come between now and one today. So your views are welcome. Bernie takes your comments 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Lines open. Bernie takes your calls and comments or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And now shortly we will hear about Brian Crowley and hear from Brian Crowley on why he is not seeking re-election to the European Parliament in May. We'll hear from him shortly but just a number of items that we want to get through before we hear from Brian and this is something that is making news again this morning and we did touch on this yesterday when we spoke with the Tipperary Deputy Matthew McGrath but first it's the Kerry TD Michael Healy Ray is coming out on this and he feels that every household in Ireland should be given a single-use breathalyser and you would wonder well, why are we giving them a single-use breathalyzer? Well, he thinks it's because of the implications of the tighter drink-driving legislation now in force across the country. And he said there was a precedent to be believed anyhow, he said, as Charlie Hockey, when he was Minister for Health in the 1970s, uh, distributed free toothbrushes for everybody because of the extent of poor dental health care in the country. Do you remember that? Getting a free toothbrush from Char- Charlie Hockey in the 70s? Uh, did you get her a free tr- toothbrush from Charlie Hawley back then? If you remember that, let me know. I'd love to know somebody who actually remembers getting that particular toothbrush uh, free from the state back in the 70s. And uh, he goes on to say, while he wasn't a supporter of the recently introduced tighter drink driving laws because of the impact on rural pubs, the law was in place and people needed to be able to easily get an accurate indication of alcohol in their system. So while the law is in now, he feels at least people, if they had a particular breath in their home before they go off and drive in the morning well at least then they'll know if they're fit to drive or not so do you agree with Michael Healy Ray on that uh, that every particular household across Ireland should be given a breathalyzer, a single-use breathalyzer, uh, because of the implications of the new tighter drink-driving laws that are now in force across the country. Is he correct? Is he right to suggest that? Or do you think it's a waste of money? And again, like others, do you think that if you are out the night before, well, then just c- cut back in your drinking if you know you're going to be on the road the next morning and then you won't have a problem? Or just do not drink at all. Uh, don't have anything. It depends, of course, uh, what time you're out and all of that. But maybe if you know you're up early in the morning, just go go out and don't drink and then you won't have to worry about getting up the next morning and being over the limit. Your views welcome on that. 1850 333 103 and I'd like to know those who remember 
this was in the 70s, getting a toothbrush from Charlie Hawhey, then Minister for Health, because of the poor dental care in Ireland at that time. If you remember that, let me know as well. Uh, speaking there of the drink driving, there, of course, we did speak uh, to Matthew McGrath yesterday on the show. That story being picked up on many of the papers this morning. Uh, Matty was claiming that, and we know and we've heard from various areas of Cork that this is happening, and that people, while they're going to Mass on a Sunday morning or going to school with their children or even work that they are uh, being breathalyzed. but Matty McGrath was saying that he feels some of those people being breathalyzed are unfairly targeted especially going to Mass and he called on management in the Gardaí to cop on and indeed to Shane Ross well that story being picked up this morning in the papers because Matty feels they should redeploy the Gardaí that are up breathalyzing and make sure that they're tackling rural crime in the area uh, according to Matty McGrath and that story from the show making papers and news this morning and on that then, another issue we spoke about yesterday, it's still in the news today and your views are, are, are continued welcome on this, eating less meat to tackle climate change. I mentioned Michael Healy Ray there. He and others have come out and said it's crazy and it's just becoming a fad. And from that report we mentioned yesterday on the show, the, eat, the eating report and the commission that was uh, set up to look at what we eat. Uh, many TDs now have come out and strongly criticised this and there's a fear as well and a worry from farming groups, in particular the IFA who are not happy about these particular stories being brought out and not happy on encouraging people to eat less meat and when a lot of it is coming to climate change people are asking how will that reduce climate change if we cut back in our meat. Anyhow your views on that are welcome as well on your eating habits. Again you would have heard from yesterday's show and this continues to make news uh, that they, they from this report they want people to cut down on eating red meat and people to go and look towards nuts and look towards other items for nutrition see if you can get your nutrients from dry nuts and indeed from other items rather than eating red meat or indeed and also not only red meat cutting down on fish and cutting down on poultry they want us to cut down on what we eat and contain with that as well with regards to fish and poultry but red meat is the big thing they want us all to cut down on so uh, cutting down on red meat do you agree with that or do you think like so many in the doll yesterday when the news came out yesterday morning that it is a fad and it's crazy and that we can't go and cut back on our red meat in this country some people have been texting in yesterday to us saying that we'll never cut back on red meat in this particular country because of the high level of intake we have and it's going to be hard for us to change our views and change our mindset on the issue of red meat and should we look to beans and nuts where we can get our nutrients from beans and nuts instead of red meat and also cutting down then in the fish and the eggs as well. Anyhow, uh, views welcome on that 1850-333-103 and uh, McDonald's have been in the news earlier this week to do with Supermax and basically the rights issue across Europe for the name Mac and so far Supermax have won their particular uh, issue with McDonald's and there could be an appeal from McDonald's on that but McDonald's in the news again this morning and I don't know who thought that this was going to be a good idea within a marketing group in McDonald's, but it seems, anyhow, and this was in, well, it doesn't seem, it's actually, there's a picture of it here in the papers this morning. Uh, Ronald McDonald, you know the clown type character they use for McDonald's? It seems Ronald McDonald's has caused a lot of anger. And this is what some people would say crossing an ethical boundary because they've come out with a McJesus sculpture and they've showed the fast food clown nails to a cross like Jesus. It's on display in Israel in a museum of art in 
in Israel but has caused uproar with hundreds of Arabs in the actual city, Arab Christians in the city in Israel where it was actually on display. They were very unhappy with this. It got so out of hand at one stage that the police were brought in and three people were injured as they protested against against this particular uh, sculpture which was on show in this particular museum. Protests got out of hand there as well. So I'm, I don't know who thought that was a good idea to go along and uh, put up a, a cross and put up the Ronald McDonald clown on the cross. Uh, but they did, uh, but it has caused a lot of anger. So McDonald's again in the news uh, for the wrong reason uh, towards the end of this week. And your views welcome on this. So I have a lot of texts already in regarding this. Uh, and I think in some areas this is the norm. But anyhow, your views are welcome because this is from County Monaghan. And it's from Cord of Gales, uh, which is a GA club in Monaghan. Like many GA clubs, they are looking to raise funds. So they're having a big draw, big raffle. And there's a lot of auction items as well on display. And the auction items go from uh, VIP, All-Ireland Football final tickets to uh, tickets to the Ireland-England game in the Aviva uh, for the Six Nations. And so much more in there as well. Some great prizes. One of those prizes, though, is a graveyard plot for two for your choice at their local cemetery. So that particular prize stood out. And people online, on Facebook, on Twitter, and whatever, and even to us here are asking, is that the norm? Is that a joke or what is it? Well, no, it, it is a prize. They are giving away a graveyard plot for two. And I have seen this before and I can't remember where. It was either Cork or Kerry. Uh, but there was an, an auction before similar to this and there was a graveyard plot that you could win in that particular auction or you could bid for in the auction and get the particular plot. And I did make the point earlier, while some feel it's strange, a lot of people do buy graveyard plots before they think of death at all. And they ensure they do this because they don't want the families picking up the finance and the bills later for a particular grave because a grave can range from a thousand euros to five thousand euros depending on where you're living in the various areas of Cork uh, so a lot of people feel it's a good idea but your views welcome on that there is mixed views some people think it's, like it's wrong to actually have this particular item on a list for auction and feel it's some even would say I've seen comments where they feel it's strange and disrespectful but your views are welcome what do you think of this uh, a graveyard plot for auction at a GA auction items uh, raffle that they're holding later in County Monaghan later in the month. It's getting traction for them. They are getting publicity out of this. Maybe that's one of the reasons they put in the particular graveyard plot. Anyhow, your views welcome on that. Uh, Mary on text says, I think it's a great idea about the graveyard plot. We brought ours over 10 years ago. It cost us €1,300 at the time and I was told that the prices do go up at the end of every year. So I wonder what is the cost of them now? I am planning to buy my own headstone now as well. Why should the expense be put on the family? Uh, says Mary on text 0862103103. So your general views on that outside of the actual auction, are you one of those families that do discuss death and maybe do go and buy graveyard plots? And like Mary has there, because at the end of the day, then the family, your family that you leave behind, aren't caught with all the finance and the bills for that. Uh, personally, I, I, I wouldn't, for fear that you might end up in the grave before you should. But, you know, tempting faith and all that. But your views are welcome anyhow. 1850 333 103. And indeed, text or WhatsApp 086 103. We'll hear from Brian Crowley next. For today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. 
Brian Crowley will not seek re-election for the European Parliament this May. The Bandon Man and Ireland's South MEP made the announcement yesterday afternoon at a press conference at the Rogerstown Park Hotel. A sustained bout of ill health over recent years has forced the decision. Uh, yesterday afternoon he did speak to our reporter Fiona Cochran who will speak to shortly on why he decided to leave the European Parliament and leave Ireland South as an MEP. The main reason for being here today is, as I said, first of all, to explain the reason for my absence from public uh, appearances over the last while and the issues with regard to my health and also with regard to the future and what's going to happen and what I plan to do for the future as well. Um, As you know, I've been in hospital for a long period of time, uh, three and a half years uh, inside the hospital in bed, a number of surgeries and so on. And because of that, uh, it meant that I couldn't attend the Parliament in Strasbourg or be attend public events or public uh, engagements outside of the hospital uh, as it was. Now, not just because of that, but also because of other, situ- other situations that have arisen, I have made a decision that I would continue on in my term of office up to May of this year when the European elections take place, but that I won't be putting myself forward as a candidate for election or for selection in May of this year. And the main reason for that is because I don't feel I've been to put in the type of campaign that would be required to give the people of the South the kind of campaign and respect they should they deserve to see, first of all, with regard to somebody looking for their votes, and also the type of campaign that I'm used to doing myself, that I've always done since the first day I stood for election, and that I feel I wanted to do, um, and I wouldn't be capable of doing that because of the ongoing issues and so on. Now, fortunately, I've reached the stage that I am able to go back and attend in Brussels and Strasbourg over February, March and April, which will allow me to re-engage with some of the files which are outstanding up to that time and also deal with some of the other issues. Over the period of time that I have been in hospital, the work didn't stop. I was working remotely and I was ensuring that people were getting the services that they required through my office here in Cork and my staff in my office here in Cork, as well as that through the staff of the political group that I'm a member of in the European Parliament and my numerous contacts built up over the last 30 years in the Commission, in the Parliament and in the Council and across all different uh, political groupings and nationalities within that. So that I have been able to work remotely. I have been able to deal with constituents' problems. I've been able to put forward questions directly to the Commission and to the Council. I've been able to put forward amendments to reports within the Parliament itself. I've been able to arrange delegation visits for people to Europe to meet with Commission officials, with parliamentary officials and with Council officials, including members of the Fianna Fáil party and different delegations, including meetings with Michel Barnier's team concerning the Brexit negotiations and so on. And that's been ongoing. <coughs> The beauty of the modern age in which we live in one sense is the fact that technology is there to allow you to telework with a laptop, with Viber, with Facebook and with screen time and so on, that you can actually do that. And that I've been fortunate enough to be able to continue on in doing that work and also been lucky enough to have a very efficient and um, conscientious staff that have been able to help me to get to that level as well.
Brian Crowley speaking there yesterday afternoon. Now, I know there's a lot of questions over the last year or two from listeners about his particular future and indeed why he did decide to stay as an MEP. Well, he does answer those over the course of the uh, press conference yesterday. We'll hear more from Brian shortly, but he was speaking to our own Fiona Corcoran, who was at the press conference along with other reporters yesterday afternoon. She joins me. Good uh, morning, Fiona. Morning, JP. Now, it must have been an emotional time for Brian as well. I know he mentions other reasons uh, for why he's moving on from uh, the European Parliament, but the, uh, the main reason really is because of his ill health, and, and that's forcing him uh, to leave his role because he was very passionate. We can see that over the last while, why he stayed in Europe. Uh, so he must have been passionate while he was working from his hospital bed, despite him being very ill. That's right, JP. I mean, like Brian Crowley has been an MEP for 25 years and he said in his press conference yesterday that it's a job that he's thoroughly loved. He's loved being able to go over to Brussels and Strasbourg and, you know, fight for people over there and engage with his constituents back here in um, Ireland South. And it's a job that he's really given his all to over the 25 years and his popularity has been shown as well in um, each of the elections. He's topped the poll in each case and um, he said yesterday that, um, you know, we haven't really heard anything from him. People were wondering where he was, why he was. We had reports that, you know, his um, attendance record had fallen to virtually absent every day from um, from Europe. And he had dropped from being one of the highest, uh, one of the highest voting records in, in Europe to the, the lowest. Um but he didn't give any statements to any of the media over the last while. And he said that he wanted to wait until he was had made a decision and then just do one big press conference and tell everybody rather than deliver uh, or talk to some reporters here, some reporters there. He just wanted to kind of have one press conference. So that's why we haven't really heard from him in a while. And he gave us quite graphic details of the, the agonizing surgeries that he's been through over the last couple of years. Now, he's been in hospital um, for three years and during that time he's had 30 surgeries on his his legs. Um, it's, it's, uh, he's been in a wheelchair since he was 16. Um, he, fell, he had a, a horrible accident when he was 16 and he fell off a roof and he's been wheelchair bound since. So what's happened now is that um, because he's been in a wheelchair for so long, he has these pressure sores on his, his legs. And he's needed a lot of surgeries, skin grafts, um, muscle replacement um, surgeries on his legs. And he's been undergoing those surgeries for the last couple of years. And that's why he hasn't been able to travel over to Brussels. Um, And he said that, you know, we have an election now coming up in May. People are, are going to be canvassing now. And in the past, he's driven himself long journeys all around uh, Munster and, and the south of Ireland, um, which he would be representing. And he's called to people's doors personally, meeting people. And he said he wouldn't be able to do that this time around. And he didn't want to um, engage in a campaign if he wasn't able to do that. He said that um, it wasn't something that he didn't want to do and it was something that he thinks his constituents deserve and he wouldn't be able to give them that. Um, So that's why he has decided now to, um, after May, he won't be um, sitting in in Europe anymore, that he's going to fulfil his duties up until May, um, but he's not going to seek election then again. And um, it was with a very heavy heart. But he said that... um, you know, he's had time to come to terms with his decision um, and he said that he has no plans really for the future at the minute, but um, 
he said that, uh, you know, he, he's sure that he will find something that he will love doing. And yeah, and on that, he actually, he, he was asked about going back to public life because that was one thing that came up yesterday. Here's what Brian said about that, if he would return publicly uh, and maybe go maybe as a TD or a councillor or something. But here's what he said. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no, I have no plans. I have no ideas. And I mean, again, I think, as I said to you before, Ralph, that if you would ask me on the 9th of February 1993, what do we want to be in the future? The last thing I would say was be a senator or be an MEP. But that's actually what happened. Because the 10th of February, Albert Reynolds ran me and offered me a position to be one of the 11 nominees in the Senate. So you haven't ruled out a return to public life? No, I won't be, I, I, no, I won't be returned to public life. So he made it very clear there that that's yeah. it on regards to public life anyway. He, he won't be uh, going ahead. And one other thing that came up yesterday, and this is something we got a lot of texts on as well, Fiona, here to the show, was while he knew he was ill and he was in another hospital before the last election, people were wondering, well, then if he knew he was ill, and no one knows the future that it would get worse, but they were wondering, well, why did he run then in 2014? Uh, here's what he said about that. Yeah, it's a fair question. And, and uh, I mean... In 2009, when I, when I ran, in 2014, when I ran, I didn't have a health problem. Everything was cured. Everything was sorted. You had two years previously of hospitalizations and... I had, but I had 30 years previously that without any problem, ever being in hospital, bar one car accident in 1990. So, I mean, that, you know... So, you weren't misleading the public? No, I, I wasn't. Or what you said, people would say that you misled them when you went in 2014 because your health wasn't... But I told, I'm sorry, I told people when I was out, out of work between 2000 and, in 2012 and 2013... I said to, I told people why I was out of work and what happened. So they were fully aware when I was standing in 2014 that I hadn't been out, the reason for it being out. And I never said this wasn't going to be a problem again. I said this, is an on, this could be an ongoing issue that I have to watch out for. But does that mean I should stop working? Does that mean I shouldn't, I shouldn't put myself forward? The people then make the decision whether, whether they believe or not that I was being honest with them or whether I put money forward. And I think they believed, I, I mean, I don't know how more direct I could have been in explaining what it was, what the difficulty was, and how it would be an ongoing problem. Do you think that frustrated him, Fiona, when that kind of question does come up? Because the public were asking that particular question at mm-hmm. the time. But obviously, you know, he, he was ill and you're in a situation where you've no control over what's happening around you. I mean, it must have been frustrating dealing with those type of questions, which really are from the public. But I mean, they have to be answered at the same time. But that's right. And I mean, he he did answer all of the questions that mm. were thrown at him. And I mean, we're only hearing a little bit of the press conference, but it did go on for 45 minutes um, yesterday. And uh, he was asked some very tough questions about why he decided to go again. And um, did he feel bad about not representing people in the way that he had promised during the election campaign? Um, but he said that, you know, he didn't know he was going to be this ill. Um, now, he did have one or two operations before 2014, but he said that he was in his mind he was cured after that and that he was okay and that he was going to be fit to to carry on and then after 2014 I think um, one surgery led to another and he had never anticipated that it was going to be like this Um, and he said that you know uh, he didn't you know for him, like he said, you know, nobody wants to, to be in this situation. He said that he didn't want to be lying in a hospital bed for three years. He'd prefer to have been over in Europe doing what he had been elected to do. But um, he didn't, it was out of his hands, basically. Yeah, and did um, many and ask was, him or did it come up about the fact Brexit over the last two years or more when a lot of people felt that they weren't getting the representation from Ireland South because they, even though he was working from his hospital bed, he wasn't physically within Brussels or Strasbourg and they felt for Ireland South there was one MEP down and we weren't getting enough representation on the ground over there. Did that come up? Yeah, no, nobody asked him about Brexit. <laughs> I don't know if that's because we're all just very tired of Brexit. Maybe. <laughs> but, 
but <laughs> no, nobody asked him about Brexit. But he did say that, um, you know, he uh, was representing people in, in, a, in a different way. He said that from his hospital bed and from his home, he was engaging with um, his own staff and the contacts that he has uh, generated in uh, or built up in, in Europe over the last years of being over there. And he was able to put in amendments to uh, different motions and he was able to organise delegations to go over to Europe to meet people. Um, and he said that with technology now, he, he was able to, you know, I suppose, FaceTime people and, and message mm. people and WhatsApp and Viber. And um, it, like he said that he was working remotely from from home and that he was very active in that way, but just he wasn't ever going to be able to go over and vote on, on certain things in Europe, so he wasn't able to or to get engaged in any of the debates that would have been going on over there. Um, but again, he said that um, you know the, the whole issue as well came up about his salary because, uh, as we all know, he hadn't been present in Europe, but yet he was drawing down his salary of eight thousand euro a month thereabouts, and he said that you know. He was just following uh, the rules of the European Parliament. He was sending over six certs every month um, and they saw no issue with paying him the money. Um, and he said that, you know, he was because he was working remotely from home and that he was doing wh- whatever he could, that um, he he felt that, you know, he was deserved it in taking that salary um, because it wasn't like he was just not doing anything at all. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have been getting the expenses that a lot of the MEPs would get for travel and, and meal allowances and all that. But um, he would have been getting the, the, the salary because he was still working from home. And he felt he was entitled to that because he was still yeah. working and he was sending six certs in. So yeah. that was his answer on that. Also, Micheál Martin, a lot of people are wondering his relationship with Micheál Martin over what has happened over the course mm. of the last number of years. And of course, uh, back in 2014 as well. Here's what he said on that yesterday. Well, we're, we're, we're not enemies. We're not, we're not at loggerheads with each other. No, isn't. No, I don't hold any. I hold no grudge against anybody. I don't. Michal has a job. Has a job to. Do. He he had to make a decision, on my decision, and as a leader of the party, he took that decision. I accept it fully. Sorry, uh, presidential? Are you talking or presidential and on the on the expulsion from the parliamentary party? Same thing. I mean, the leader has to make the decision. That, you know, every decision he makes is going to create an enemy. I don't I don't take it personally in the sense. Of, oh, this is just against me type of stuff. I'm not. I mean, I may have an ego, but I'm not, I don't have that big an ego. So no personal gripe, it would seem, with Michal Martin from Brian. But now, it seems everybody, Fiona, wants to be grabbing his seat once May comes already. Uh, Billy Kelleher is out. Yeah. I know I heard Michael McGrath as well name being mentioned as an interest for the particular seat. Any more that want to jump in? Um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see now. I think everybody was waiting to see what Brian Crowley was going to do. Um, and it was interesting yesterday, he said that he holds no personal grudge with Michal Martin, but yet he hadn't informed him of his decision to leave. Uh, now, he had been expelled from the Parliamentary Party um, back in, in 2014, but he said that he still pays his membership, that he's still a member of Fianna Fáil and that he will go to the grave as a Fianna Fáil member. Um, but yet when we asked him why he didn't feel... Um, the need to inform the, the Fianna Fáil leader that he was leaving. Um, he said that he wanted 
tell the media first and that he thought that if he went to Micheál Martin that um, it would leak in some way and that people would be annoyed with that. Um, and he said that there had been just no correspondence whatsoever. Um, and he said the last time that they spoke was in July 2014. Um, now, while the press conference was ongoing, Micheál Martin did issue a statement and he paid tribute to, to Brian Crowley and all the work that he's done over the last uh, 25 years. And he said that he was very dedicated to the job and very dogged in his in his approach to his work and he said that he was an inspiration to people that you know he didn't let his disability set him back in any way so um you know it's interesting to see from both perspectives the relationship you know they both seem to have a uh, a respect for each other but yet there's been no correspondence and no kind of contact whatsoever between the two Okay, well, he is going, and now it's a, a face of who will be the new face for Ireland South, and we'll have to wait and see. It's a, a number of names be mentioned, but it will be later, of yeah, course, in the year when we figure that out. That whoever um, is, is running in the race now, that he would love to be able to help them out and, and give them some guidance as well. So, you know, whether that be a fellow Cork man or or what, we just have to wait and see. But um, uh, yeah, I suppose now. Uh, we'll have a couple of names coming out in the next couple of weeks about who's going to definitely be running and it'll be an interesting one to watch Okay, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. Interesting indeed, Fiona. Thank you for that. That's uh, C103's uh, Fiona Corcoran there who attended that particular press conference yesterday for us. And your views, uh, Brian Crowley has now uh, said publicly that he will not seek re-election at the European Parliament. He felt he was entitled to the salary he was receiving as he was sending six arts to uh, the EU Parliament and they were paying him. So he felt he was entitled to that particular money. And he's told us and reporters yesterday that he won't return to public life anyhow uh, so your views welcome on that with Brian Crowley and who do you think could replace him 1850 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Cork Today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 and just disturbing news coming in and this was brought to our attention by a listener I was just verifying this and, and it seems to be true about and we'll look into this and try to get someone from the CSPCA on with us before the end of the show Now I know they're very busy and they might not be able to chat with us but it's about investigations being launched after a dog a poor dog seems uh, might have had its legs broken but a dog seemingly set on fire uh, here on Cork I'll look into that uh, more and we'll get uh, more details maybe from the CSPCA on that one uh, uh, but just an awful story I mean, we had a story last week uh, about the treatment of a dog in West Cork and how the the neck of the dog you could see the skin and the skin was coming out he was treated so badly and now this you wonder what are we doing with our animals here in the Cork area anyhow just briefly back to uh, comments coming in regarding Brian Crowley um, someone here is saying for God's sake on Brian Crowley as he said he was working from hospitals so leave the man alone uh, have you noticed the else to talk about good luck to Brian Crowley another person saying despite not being a supporter I thought the comment about getting his wages while unable to travel to the EU and sit in Parliament despite working from his hospital bed I think this is a new low in Irish public expectations towards all ill people as he said he suffered catastrophic consequences following a sequence of surgeries and he followed the rules and had offices and staff in Strasbourg doing his best says that particular texter to 0862103103 well on that uh, and on Brian Crowley uh, Michael Moynihan uh, Cork North West Fianna Deputy has contacted the programme good morning to you Michael good morning uh, Michael, on those comments coming in there, do you feel that maybe some people are harsh at asking him too many questions, considering that he was ill well, and, and the fact that he gave so much to public life? Absolutely. I think it's outrageous. And I do hope and pray 
that all those that are sending those text messages, whether it is politically motivated or any other way, that it, never any member of them, either themselves or their family, get ill for a prolonged period, because anybody that gets ill and anybody that has been with somebody that is ill, and you know, there's prognosis and and they're looking for, and they are hoping to improve, they're hoping to get back to full health, and I do think that in either society, now what, what, at this point particularly, we have to, you know, common decency has to be out there. And I know that there are people there and they say that every politician, if they were put into one building and blown up, you know, it would be the betterment of society. We see where politics has broken down uh, right across the globe and it isn't for the betterment of society. But on Brian Crowley, Brian Crowley has given an enormous contribution to Europe, an enormous contribution over the last 25 years. And pure on a personal level this morning I want to thank Brian for what he has done uh, for me and indeed for uh, you know when I started enough uh, going into politics Brian paid a, non- a mighty part in making sure that we were elected back in 1997 and when we were looking for advices we were looking for help he was there at every hand's turn and he did enough that work and right through and even in the last number of years when there was issues in relation to the European Commission the European Union or indeed to get in- information in terms of advancing queries that we had with the Department of Agriculture, with uh, the departments of uh, enterprise or any of the other departments or education in terms of cross-border initiatives, uh, Brian Crowley was at the end of the phone, and I knew that he was in hospital. And you know, I, I cannot comment on, on his, uh, you know, his medical because that's a private matter. And I do think that we do have to have standards to allow people to have their private health issues, uh, private whatever, however public uh, the the figure or the person is. But I do want to pay an enormous tribute to him and I want to thank him sincerely for all he has done over the years and I want to thank him sincerely for what he's done for me personally as well and the help you know I remember back to various uh, uh, functions that he attended the command of the detail the statistics in relation to Europe and how it would impact and indeed at the time of the you know the enlargement of the European Union and all of that the amount of time the amount of facts he had the amount of knowledge he had and the, the capability he had and he was one really professional politician who gave everything absolutely everything and you know in the book he wrote against the odds he did it against the odds and he never wanted, you know, when he was getting his, the, the, the chair and putting, getting out on the street or whatever, he wanted to do it himself and he wanted to make sure that he put forward his best case despite the many challenges that he faced. And uh, he was able to, you know, as well as that, on different and, and on difficult uh, times, he was able to bring humour to certain circumstances, but uh, he played an enormous help to me and he has been an almighty help over the last number of years as well even though that he has been in hospital and he's been walking from it and you know if those that are texting in this morning with their comments if they just cast their mind and just think of somebody that's lying in a hospital bed trying to run a, a constituency office or run or look after people in it, and the, the frustration that that must take maybe they should look at that before they start uh, texting in uh, th- those kind of comments and I think that we have to allow people who are ill and everybody who is ill no matter how serious or how difficult the diagnosis is they want to get better and um, but I do think that he has paid an enormous role and he has been a beacon he is 25 years the longest serving MEP in Ireland 
and had a huge knowledge of the European Union and indeed a huge knowledge of politics. And there are very few um, uh, villages or towns in Munster that he hasn't visited numerous times uh, on this occasion uh, during his time as a, an MEP. And I think that many MEPs would be looking at his contribution and the way he worked his constituency, looking on and all. Um, so I suppose that's what I would like to yeah. say. Well, we do wish him well for the future. Uh, the job of course a lot of people are speaking about that now this morning is turned to that uh, Billy Keller has outlined that he would be in- interested and uh, has outlined his intentions to seek uh, that particular job have you any interest yourself in going to Europe? <laughs> no um, I, like some people say to me are you interested in going to Europe you know uh, I live in Kishkeem and uh, Dublin is uh, nearly far enough away from, from me um, I, um, I, I study European and I understand Europe and I, and I think that Europe at this point is very pivotal you know what is happening across the water in relation to Brexit and how Europe you know anytime anybody has been in Brussels and they look at the I suppose the, the whole city has been built around uh, bureaucracy and everything else but it is better than the killings that had gone on for centuries before mm. that it has brought Europe together and I just to answer your question absolutely without any I will not be contesting or I have no interest in standing for Europe either now or in the future Okay and very finally I'm running out of time here must go to news at 11 but a lot of people in contact with us about what Independent Deputy Matty McGrath said yesterday he feels that Gardaí should be more than likely at this stage looking towards rural crime catching the criminals rather than being out before Sunday mask breathalyzing people why they all agree you don't drink and drive they feel there's too many checkpoints outside workplaces and Sunday mass rather than tackling rural crime would you agree with him on I, w- that? I would agree with him on that I think what has happened over the that the fear that has been put into rural communities I was speaking to two people again this morning just in conversation you know normal go out for a social uh, uh, on a uh, Sunday evening and people are talking about the fear that has been put into it and you know if you look at uh, the various crime issues that are around this country and and the difficulties that are there and you know look at what happened in Dublin last night what's ongoing in, in, uh, right across the country and the, the locks and the, and the security that people have to put in place to make sure that their properties are protected and you know there has to be a balance put into it and uh, I don't think that I, from my understanding clearly there was no balance put into it this year and uh, I think that the fear of God put into rural communities and uh, you know our rural communities are under uh, sustained pressure and attack and there's ad-lib comments coming from the double, you know, the ad-lib comments in relation to the, the, the our beef industry and everything else. And I do think that, you know, what I've said many times on your program is that when we talk about rural Ireland, there's a kind of an attitude to uh, people, uh, particularly media, uh, you know, national media, definitely not local media, but national media, you know, as if we are gombeans or something like that. We're talking about real communities, communities that have done extremely well to service generations of families Mm. and we have put untold fear into them this Christmas and I would like to know where that decision was made uh, by on uh, Garda Shikana how that that those decisions to put the fear of God into people uh, came about this uh, this Christmas and 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 not tackling we've seen there you know in the various um, community alert schemes that I'd be involved in that'd be sending text messages about uh, cars and so forth and I'd like I mean are we tackling crime at the rate that we should have and are we going on the wrong angle 
Go, going the wrong way or going the wrong way uh, about we, we, it. We, yeah, we, yeah like, it's, it's a good point and I think that's what Matty was raising yesterday regarding our, should they be putting more resources and redeploying Gardaí into different divisions tackling rural crime. Michael, I must leave you there. I'm over time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, that is Cork North West uh, Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael Moynihan. 1850 333 103. Lines open. Text or WhatsApp 086 2103 On a Friday morning we're with you until one with Cork Today. Bernie takes your calls and comments. 1850 333 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. You can tweet us this morning at C103Cork or indeed email jp at c103.ie. Uh, just before 11, spoke briefly to Cork Northwest Deputy Michael Moynihan and this was, first of all, we spoke on Brian Crowley, I'll get to those comments in a while, but just on the issue from yesterday's show that's making the papers today, this is to do with uh, how Matty McGrath, who came on yesterday, and others now are coming out who feel the Gardaí need to redeploy resources and move them more in tackling rural crime rather than breathalysing people in areas such as outside Sunday Mass or service or outside workplaces or that type of thing. And Michael agreed with the comments made yesterday on the show by Independent Deputy Matty McGrath. Well, on that, Pat is saying uh, Fianna Foyle did not stand up for rural people against Shane Ross when all of this was being discussed and voted in the doll. So how now can they come out and say the opposite and say that Gardaí should be redeployed or things change within the Garda force uh, because they didn't vote. They didn't go against Shane Ross so are they any good themselves uh, says Pat on text to 86 and a lot of uh, text coming in regarding Brian Crowley and uh, of course we did hear from Brian in the last hour who spoke with our reporters yesterday in the Rogerstown Park Hotel as we know Brian is um, not seeking election uh, from the European Parliament uh, this coming May. Uh, a number of people in contact with us on that. Uh, first of all uh, with relation to expenses and uh, salaries and all of that. A lot of anger that people are questioning that when he was sick but one here from Heidi who says I know very little uh, about this MEP Brian Crowley but I wonder will he get a golden handshake or a golden parachute allowance of a huge amount of money depending on how long service he was with the EU will he be entitled to that says Heidi and a lot more uh, thanks uh, for Brian coming in first of all Dan says I am not political but Brian Crowley was a class above our normal politicians and he would be a huge loss to Ireland says Dan another texter says thank you to Michael Moynihan for bringing a bit of dignity and respect into the questions and suggestions about Brian Brian Crowley. Brian was one of the best politicians Ireland ever had and had no problem doing his absolute best for everyone. Here in Bandon, his hometown, Brian and his whole family are held in very high regard. It's embarrassing to listen to some of those comments. Ireland owes Brian Crowley a lot more than he owes Ireland. Best of luck, Brian, says that particular texter. Another texter says, I cannot believe the mentality of some people with regard to Brian Crowley's retirement from public life and his illness has been referred to in this manner. Brian has always been known for being a gentleman and doing his best for everybody, regardless of the political background. Whether he was or wasn't at his desk in Brussels is totally irrelevant. I believe the advantages of modern technology was you can connect with anyone anywhere in the world in a nano of a second. So my advice to all those keyboard warriors, keep away from Facebook unless you have something good to say. May I suggest maybe you say a prayer for Brian instead, says that particular texter to 0862103103. 
And Michael on WhatsApp is saying that Brian Crowley did the correct thing to retire from politics. Down the line, Michael says he will be saying, why didn't I do it sooner for the sake of his family and above all his own health? I wish him many more years of happiness and indeed good health into future years, uh, says Michael on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Some of your calls and comments in relation uh, to Brian Crowley more are, are coming in to us. We'll get to those in a while. Uh, Regarding the issue, though, of people being asked to cut down on meat and cut down on the intake of meat, not only red meat, though, on fish as well and eggs. It seems now we're being asked to go and look at alternatives and look such as uh, beans and nuts as they can. uh, And they have the same nutrients as red meat and indeed fish and other items. And on that, OC, making a very good point, by the way, OC is on text saying... I'm kind of puzzled by the lack of comments on Leo Varadkar's meat-eating recommendation to cut carbon. Here is a Fine Gael party who advocated for doubling cow and beef cattle numbers by 2020 and now telling people to cut consumption back on farm produce products at a time of Brexit when the agricultural minister is being asked to get EU farm funding to help very survival of cash-strapped farmers who are in production. And now we have the Greens as well getting involved with this and it seems they want to cripple farming. Beans and nuts are flown and shipped into Ireland. No one has suggested a low carbon alternative to many products used in construction which are not supported as a cost is a factor. But carbon could be reduced by extending life of usable products, for example cars, farm, tractors etc. If the carbon footprint was a cost factor, travel produce from countries like China would reduce their competitiveness, says OC. And that is a good point. While they're asking us to go and look at alternatives, a lot of those beans and nuts that we do eat, um, the majority of them, uh, they are brought in to Ireland from other countries. A lot of them may be tropical countries, but I know you can, some of them grow here in Ireland, but not all of them. Uh, and they are brought into this particular country. So while we're reducing carbon in one aspect, OC making a very good point then, are we increasing carbon in another side of things by shipping in all these beans and nuts or flying them in or wherever they get into the country? Uh, we have to be increasing our carbon footprint there as well if we're going to get more of these in than we have. Uh, it's a good angle to look at. Uh, thanks, OC, if you your text to 0862103103 and the story I was getting there just before 11 o'clock and we were hoping to chat with someone uh, I know they're very busy in the CP and the CSPCA in Mahan. If they have time to chat with us before one, we might get a chance to discuss this further. But it's a very, very sad news. And another uh, example of animal cruelty here in Cork. And this is that, uh, and this, the Cork Society of Prevention for Cruelty to Animals are investigating the circumstances surrounding the discovery of a, what it seems a dog that was set on fire here in Cork. The animal was found in an overgrown scrub area in the the Glen area of the city north side and he was found initially by the Cork City members of the Cork Animal Care Society and a city dog warden. Now the presence of a stray lurcher was reported in the area so they were obviously looking for that and then they came uh, across and and found the dog but they they didn't know if the dog was the lurcher or not. It's now believed the dog is a German shepherd or a similar breed and it seems this poor dog had its legs broken and was then set on fire uh, they're not 100% whether this particular animal uh, had died or not before he was set on fire 
if the animal was already dead or not. Uh, there is video seemingly circling on social media. Uh, and what people are saying to us is that it looks like the dog wasn't moving beforehand. But again, we don't know if the dog was alive or dead. Anyhow, what an awful story. I mean, why would you even, how could you even do that to a dog? Not a mind think about it, but how could you actually do that to a dog? Uh, it's tough enough uh, hearing about this. And I mind you actually thinking that someone went out knowing they were going to do this to a particular dog and use something uh, to light an animal on fire. I mean, you've got to wonder what our kind of society are we living in that that's now happening. Uh, people are, are setting animals on fire. And that is happening right here in Cork. Uh, it's a disturbing story. We might, I know the CSPCA, as other animal welfare organisations, are very, very busy and you know are making time to rescue animals. So we might not get a chance to speak to them, but we hopefully will get a chance to speak to someone on that particular story anyhow, if we can before one. But uh, just as people are ringing us with the story and people in the area who were just disgusted that this has happened in an area of the city where they live and that indeed, no matter whether it's city or county, it's still wrong. It happened here in Cork and it's wrong that anybody could even think about doing that uh, to a dog. Um, so I presume investigations hopefully will lead to catching those involved. But yeah, just a very, very sad news. And it's another example of how some people treat animals here in this country. And we've only dealt with it last week. Uh, of a mis- uh, an animal in West Cork who was mistreated. Thankfully, that particular animal rebel, by the way, we spoke about last week, who let's just say the the neck area was very badly damaged at that particular animal without getting into too much detail after telling you that story. Uh, the rebel, the dog, is doing very well uh, and coming around and health getting better, eating and happy. So we'll, we will catch up uh, for more news on Rebel in the next few weeks when when we know more about him. But for the moment, anyhow, uh, Rebel, that particular dog from West Cork who was badly injured in the neck area and basically the skin was coming out from the neck. It was so badly injured. Uh, he is doing very well. So uh, that's a good news front anyhow. But it's, again, that dog should not have been left in that condition or found in that condition uh, as is this poor other animal uh, in, in the Glen. Anyhow, uh, it's awful news. We might uh, touch the pace and hear more about that story later in the show. And I mentioned earlier on about this particular GA club in County Monaghan, Court of Gales. They're having an auction Unlike many GA clubs, they're doing that to raise money. And they have some great prizes, by the way, if, if you are thinking of buying a ticket from them. Uh, they have a VIP for the All-Ireland Football Final. Uh, tickets, that is. They have tickets to the Ireland-England game at the Aviva for rugby in the Six Nations. But one thing that caught many people uh, by surprise, and it isn't unusual because I have seen this being on auctions before, it's a graveyard plot for two uh, of your choice in a cemetery in Monaghan, in Cardiff. So the local cemetery, basically, they're giving away a graveyard or auctioning for a graveyard plot for two in that particular cemetery and a lot of people had mixed views on that some thought it was strange some thought it might have been a joke but it's not a joke but others thought it was a good idea because I made the point earlier a lot of people do buy graveyard plots uh, so that the finance and the bills aren't left with the family afterwards and also they have peace of mind on their family won't be dealing uh, with outstanding bills when they're loved when they're gone themselves and their loved ones aren't dealing with all that so there's a reason why people do buy graveyard plots other people don't uh, and like myself, maybe have the is a tempting faith. If you buy the plot, could you be 
uh, ending up there sooner rather than later. You want you don't want to be in the up in it. Uh, so some people have that kind of uh, mentality to it as well. But then it got people thinking about what is the cost of a graveyard plot? And it seems in Cork anyhow that you range from around 1,000 to 5,000 euros. And with that, someone has actually sent me a WhatsApp of a picture of a receipt they have for when they bought their graveyard plot, I would say a good number of years ago, and it cost, at the time, £100 for one grave. Uh, So that person has their particular grave in the North Cork area, £100 it cost them a good number of years ago. And the person has WhatsApp uh, us saying, beat that price, and I still haven't used it. So thank you for that on WhatsApp 0862103103. C103 Jobs. And on today's job spot, we have opportunities for including cleaners and domestic staff that are wanted at Padre Pier Nursing Home in Rochestown. Part-time and full-time positions are available mornings and weekends. You can email Rochestown at aircom.net. Skibbereen Credit Union, they require a clerical officer, two years experience in a similar role, plus a professional qualification. That's a QVA or indeed a quali- equivalent is also essential. You can email your details to Cathy at Skibbereen cu.ie the closing date for applications there is 5pm on Wednesday January the 30th and Shane Casey Electrical in McCroom is recruiting for an apprentice electrician a qualified electrician and a general operative send your CVs to info at shanecaseyelectrical.ie you'll find all these details and more job opportunities online right now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs you're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now it seems this year there is a further warning of more house repossessions. The warning comes from the Master of the High Court and David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation joins me. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Jenny. Now I know we're, I'm going to chat to you in a while about iCare and, and you've uh, made good, good progress there on uh, buying homes and uh, helping people uh, to, who have been unfortunately facing eviction that they've got themselves out of that particular situation but just on what has come out from the High Court this is a worry a lot of people when I mentioned this yesterday at the close of the show thought that evictions and home repossessions were behind us that it's been a number of years since people were finding themselves in a position where they were struggling with mortgages they've come to terms now with the bank and arrangements had been made and they thought those days were over but it seems not and it seems 2019 we could have a lot more coming down the line Yeah I think it'd be stretch over to the end of this year, early next year, where there's a, you know, 28,000 people still in long-term mortgage arrears. The issue is that many people have had their mortgages restructured, which is a positive thing. But unfortunately, there are a significant number of people who simply can't restructure the mortgage because they don't have any ability or capacity to pay. And there are a number of repossession orders that have been granted that have not been executed because of the tracker mortgage scandal, where there's been tenuous links to tracker mortgages, and they haven't been allowed to execute those orders under direction from the central bank to cause no further harm. But there's 28,000 people. And in April last year, the Central Bank's own internal report, published online on their website, says, buried in the middle of the report, which is a bit concerning, it says that over half of those in long-term mortgage arrears they think will lose ownership of their home. And it's a worry that people don't want hanging over their heads when they know that they are in mortgage difficulties. They've tried their best, but still they realise that their best really mightn't be good enough and the bank will still insist 
on going that particular route. Are you fearful that we could see, uh, even though we're saying house repossessions, <coughs> that, that we could see more of those type of evictions we, we've seen, unfortunately, over the last few years? Yeah, unfortunately, we will see more. Um, there's no nothing sure in the world is going to happen. It's been a bubbling crisis that's been left in the background that's not been addressed properly. It's been sort of ignored and there's been a, a sort of a, an untruth told by the banks and the Department of Finance and Housing where there are a significant number of people who are going to lose ownership of their homes and no plan has been put in place to deal with that. So you're going to have evictions, uh, you're going to have orders for repossession executed and you're going to have a repeat of scenes that were, uh, unfortunately, in Roscommon. Yeah, and that's the fear because a lot of house repossessions happen and we're unaware of that. It's until you get an eviction like what happened in Roscommon, like what happens in other areas of, of the country, uh, when they reach then the public limelight, then the, peop- the public and everybody is outraged that this is actually happening. But this goes under the radar a lot because a lot of people will just leave their homes when they are repossessed and a lot won't put up a fight. Yeah, and many will voluntarily surrender their home and hand back keys. So there's a whole host of circumstances that arise, but and some people will do it on a voluntary basis with an arrangement in place for the bank where they've agreed they're going to sacrifice the house in return for maybe some debt compromise. So there's a variety of voluntary, silent repossessions happen all the time, but repossessions nonetheless. There's a number of others that are vacated and people just leave the country or leave the property and realise the game is up. And uh, Then there's a vast majority of those who are left, unfortunately, who don't have the capacity to restructure their mortgage, not eligible for social housing, and fall in no man's land uh, where when the house gets repossessed, they will ultimately be homeless. And, uh, you know, that's where the next greatest crisis, in my view, is coming. And, and the tsunami is there. As I say, the central bank has said over half of those in long-term arrears will lose ownership of their home. That's 15,000 families, 60,000 people. And if that's not a tsunami, I do not know what is. Yeah, it's a huge number and again a lot of people thinking that this doesn't happen it just goes under the radar and people aren't aware that it is happening uh, but it does get carried out in a lot of places and the fear is now uh, David that we have a lot of people who are now entering the mortgage market at the moment they're buying homes for whatever prices they are still a lot above the value that they should be When it comes to your finances you think you've done it all you've saved, you've researched and you've invested all that you can Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
US house prices increased I'm sure you'll be aware of that could we have a situation now maybe in five years time seven years time when our economy will at some stage slow down again people are going to be caught in that particular trap whereby there is central bank rules in place at the moment but people are still buying homes that are far too expensive than what they should be and could we see the situation again happening in seven or eight years time at the moment it looks like we're not learning from the mistakes of ten years ago yeah there's always a risk but I think the central bank rules will have helped uh, the, you know, the deposit with the three and a half times earnings, you know, up to a maximum of four, where the previous regime was completely the Wild West and there's no real regulation in place. So protections are in place, have been put in place. Some people don't like them where they're trying to get onto the ladder, but they're there to protect people. They're there to prevent what's happening currently to happening to people in the future. Will it and can it happen? Yes. Is it likely to happen in my view? Yes. Not to the same scale. And I think the rules that are in place at the moment are good and sensible rules to protect against it happening again. And what do you make then? I'm getting a few texts in here from people. John is one of them. I pay my mortgage. I work uh, six days a week. I have a part-time job as well to pay my mortgage to ensure that I don't go into default with my bank. I don't have a lot of sympathy for those people who do lose their homes. Why don't they work hard enough? Like I have to have two jobs to support my mortgage and indeed my family. I mean, when you get that type of text and then from people who are looking at the other angle saying, well, I'm doing the best to pay my mortgage, I could easily default as well and walk away from my house. Yeah, and those people mortgage differently would actually love to be in that man's position. The problem is they can't do it. it there's no such thing as pixie dust and, uh, you know, magicians are, are something that are wonderful, but they can't magic someone back into working, can't magic their relationship back, can't magic their mental health back, can't magic their work situation back. Mm. So unfortunately, it's not about not wanting to. These are people who got mortgages, uh, were earning an adequate amount of money to pay their mortgage and did so. You know, the banks themselves have caused the situation to arise where a crash arose. People were not able to pay their mortgages and they would absolutely be delighted and love to be able to pay their mortgages. But for whatever road obstacles are in their way, they can't do so. I think you make a good point there. Mental health uh, is a big issue coming out from this as well. Uh, David, Fran, you have people, as you mentioned, who may have lost their job and then can't afford the mortgage. But then that has a strain on relationships in the family and, and their own relationship with, with their partner. Then that can fall down. And, and that's and where, Jimmy, where things get out of control. We're all 10 years older. We're all 10 yeah. years older, remember. Yeah, that's true. So we have a number of people and a significant number of those people, by the way, could pay an amount of money that they're paying. But they'll never be able to pay an adequate amount to keep them in their home. So mm. somebody can pay a thousand euros a month and they're 55 years of age. They can only pay for another 10 years before they retire, 15 in an absolute max. That means they pay down 76,000 euros of a 200,000 euro loan. Now what happens? They still lose their home. So this is a very clear thing and it's absolutely reasonable that people like your texter would have challenges around it, but they're missing the point. They're falling into the trap of bank lovers and uh, the market suggesting that people are doing this intentionally. Anyone who's doing this intentionally who's strategic defaulting, I have no time for it. My job is not to protect them. My job is to protect those that are vulnerable, who are in a difficult situation and who need help in negotiating, restructuring or having their home boss stay in it under mortgage rent. That's my job, not to defend strategic defaulters. Now, some good news yesterday, David. I Care Housing, of course, set up by yourself in September of 2017. Uh, the organisation itself uh, has confirmed that 19 properties, uh, uh, which has been purchased, I believe, um, and, and you've housed a lot of people as well. Just tell us about that, about I Care and the good news coming out from here, because you, you have saved families basically in the last year or so. Yeah, so we set up I Care September um, 17. We launched with Minister Murphy to try and use the government scheme, mortgage to rent scheme, in a different way, in a more proactive way, in a debtor-friendly way, to have a dedicated approved housing body to help people who are eligible for social housing, can't pay the mortgage, and indeed would be, re- would be repossessed. And we bought 19 houses. We got uh, corporate finance from um, AIB under normal commercial terms. 
the state gives us 30% on a preferential loan uh, for 25 years. We pay back in 25 years' time of 30% of purchase price. And the, the tenant who now becomes a tenant who used to own the house surrenders ownership of the home, loses ownership of the home, but is protected with a tenant agreement and is uh, means-tested for social housing rent. And the local authority then top up that rent to us uh, as approved housing body. ICARE is a charity. It is a approved housing body and regulated by the housing uh, agency. Uh, we are all directors and we're all volunteers, including myself. And all of this work was undertaken in the last two years in a voluntary capacity with no payer expenses by myself or any of my co-directors. I'm called a CEO. I still don't understand or know why I was called a CEO, but I am called a CEO. <laughs> uh, and CEO in fair is a big salary. Sadly, it doesn't in fairs in this instance. But 19 families, 46 people, undoubtedly would have had their homes repossessed with uh, over 500 more approved throughout the entire country to be onboarded over the next two years. So a fantastic story, a very positive story, one we're very proud of. Um, and one everyone is very proud of, and we did a phenomenal turnout with Father Peter McVeary and others and many of the finance committee uh, were present yesterday to witness uh, the launch of the 19 properties being bought. So, as you say, a good news story, which is few and far between in the current housing crisis, but one to be uh, relished. Uh, I spoke to Minister Murphy last night, and I think everybody is very happy that this has happened, and we're going to try and accelerate it and get as many people. And these are genuine people. For all the reasons we listed earlier on, their circumstances have changed, they have a roadblock in their way. And they're eligible for social housing, which is a protection uh, against anybody who might have income or assets. These are people who are eligible to a low income threshold. Uh, so this is designed for a very specific cohort of people. And when you see that story, if you worry yourself in a particular situation with your bank, I think that throws positivity back in, in the reality of what is happening as well. So it's good to bring that out there as well, that it isn't all bad in the housing situation. You, you know, there is good out there by what you're doing and others uh, yeah, in good, ICARE. There's many, there's, many, there's many out there doing good work. And, mm. and I don't doubt Minister Murphy's intention. Uh, I've seen him in operation, seen him in work, and it's popular to have a pop at him. But, you know, I've seen many people in, in various departments in, in the housing agency and local authorities doing exceptionally good work. It's very, very easy to take swings at people. It is a dysfunctional system. It is a chaotic system. It wasn't planned properly, but there are many good people in various organisations and not-for-profits doing their best. Um, and a bit more leadership is a bit more challenge and a bit more radical yeah. stuff is, is needed. But, you know, I, I think we'll eventually get through it. Um, what do you mention there with banks? I know I spoke to TDs who stormed the KBC bank there before Christmas. They initially, they initially wanted a meeting there and then they didn't get one with management, but they did get a meeting after January. And now they feel they have a, a branch at least to management in that particular bank. And others have done likewise over the years. Do you think banks now, is it easier to deal with them in this situation? Are they more forthcoming than they were, let's say, four or five years ago? Well, uh, AIB, uh, Permanent GSB and KBC, uh, uh, Bank of Ireland and Ulster Bank have direct channels open to the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation to deal with, as does Pepper and a number of the other funds as well have, and Mars Capital have opened direct channels to us. We get funding from AIB, from KBC to help their customers who come to us in an independent capacity for us to help and work with them on their behalf. So yes, there is a, an openness there. There's not a radical nature of solutions that are required Banks are still banks. They're not perfect by any manner of means. And indeed, they're very late to the table in relation to looking at radical solutions to a problem that they are one of the main um, architects of. 
Okay, David, well done again. Your work with the mortgage holders organisation and indeed with iCare. A lot of good news there for those families who now will have a home for the moment. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is David Hall there from the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. Also, of course, from iCare on the latest situation with regards to housing. And unfortunately, on a, on a sad side that we're going to have more house repossessions across 2019. But on a good news story that iCare has bought 19 homes and they've saved a lot of families from eviction. So while there's a negative, there's a positive as well there on that. We'll await and see what does happen in 2019 with all those evictions. Hopefully that everything will will go like it has in the past number of years. We'll await and see 1850 Text or WhatsApp 86 And we're going to hear about a new group being set up in Middleton. It's for men and it's about living in a positive manner. We'll find out about that next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 when discussing mental health issues on the show, we always hear how important it is to talk to someone. Many say that men still do not open up enough to their friends or whoever they need to chat to. Now a men's positive living group is being set up in Middleton, which is a support network for men's mental and physical health. And psychotherapist Tom Conlon joins me on this. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Jeff And thanks for joining us. Now, a great idea and a lot of men that do WhatsApp in or text in when we deal with the issue of mental health always feel that when they were going through their own issues that they didn't want to open up or felt they couldn't open up to people because they weren't meant to. They were a man. They were supposed to be cool and strong and all of that. Is that what you're kind of aiming this at? Uh, well, it's, it's very interesting to say what you said there. You, you may be familiar with the, the Gillette ad recently where they're talking about you know, a big two-minute ad and they're talking about real men and so on. And uh, so I, I think there's quite a lot of emphasis today on this. In other words, how, how can, you know, tough and rough men, how can they actually open up, if you will, you know? And um, so so the, the group that I'm offering uh, is essentially, it's, it's a 10-week ten uh, group and for all ages um, and any, with any, anything that people actually bring in terms of a, a challenge for them. And uh, it's a place like where I think people in a safe place, and that's my job is actually make it very safe for people. So in other words, that the confidentiality would be ensured by the group. And, and within that, then people can actually come and, and, uh, and speak. And um, uh, I've run one of these uh, in a few years back down in Dungarvan with the Men's Shed, which is, uh, you know, they, they are, they are well, well good living men and it, it worked out very successfully. So, so um, I, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't work for any type of man, essentially. You mentioned there the recent Gillette ad and that gave a different views of what was in, entailed in that particular advert for, for men. And one of those was that the issue of fighting or solving something by a fight, that that should not happen. And also how some men don't respect women. There's In that particular advert, if people haven't seen it, there is a scene where there's a, a woman walking down the street. There's a man yeah. leaning against a pole and all of a sudden he sees her. He obviously is attracted to her and he instantly starts walking after her as if he wants to approach her. Uh, yeah. And I presume try to uh, make friends there or whatever but as he's doing that another man comes out and goes no that's not cool you can't do that yeah. and it's those types of things you want to enforce as well and talk about and discuss with men well absolutely I, I mean I'm working as a psychotherapist in Cork and Middleton and uh, so some of the men that you're talking about would be would be part of my, my practice and, and really you know we've got behaviour that goes on and uh, well, you know, behind that there is something else. There's always something else, that, and some oftentimes that people are not aware of. And in my experience, the only way that this comes out is is by first of all by speaking, which is really important. 
But the other thing is an attentive listening, okay? So in other words, something that a psychotherapist would provide, or indeed a support group where people are prepared to listen to, you know, to what's being said. And oftentimes in groups, what happens is, is that a particular problem that you have might already be verbalized by somebody else. So you can actually sit there and listen to somebody potentially talk about exactly the challenge that you're dealing with. So, so that's the benefit of a group. It's not just that you would talk about, but you'll hear other people speaking about similar similar challenges for them and I find that very useful in the group context Yeah and how they overcame those challenges and, uh, and, and uh, Mindin who and everybody has friends who have been on a night out and you've seen this happen whereby somebody's uh, very forceful towards a woman and somebody yeah. steps in and goes stop that what yeah. can be the background that can cause certain men to do this and to persist uh, not yeah, only with women but with, with that, that sort of behaviour that fighting attitude yeah, yeah. I, I think actually a lot of the time, as I said, it's, it's, it's sometimes that what's driving it are, are factors that people are not aware of, okay, that they're it's in, unconscious to, if you will. And um, so that might, you know, might, it might go back to school or it might even go back before that, you know. And, and um, so oftentimes, as I said, what I find is that if people get to speak about it, they can unravel actually what it is that's driving the behavior. You know, as I said, exactly when it's brought to your attention, um, you know, you have to think about it. And, and certainly, you know, that in certain circumstances, that some of the men that you're talking about would only come to a group and they've actually run into trouble with the, the law or with, with you know, that, that um, part of this behaviour. So, uh, so what I'm hoping for with this group is that some of the folks that you're talking about would be able to come to this group, uh, feel safe in it, which is what, as I said, is my role, and talk to other people who are dealing with similar challenges. So, you know, that's, that's the offering, essentially. And how will this group work? Is it a case they go into a room and sit down around a circle? Is it something different? What's the layout for this? Well, what's the layout of this? Okay, well, well, what happens is I have an open evening uh, this evening to discuss this and to talk it, uh, talk it through. But, but the way that it'll work is that anybody coming into the group uh, would meet with me to discuss the challenges that they have and, and, and their suitability for, for a group. Because, to be honest, a group is not for everybody. You know, that, that some people may have had previous, you know, troublesome experiences working with groups. It may not be for them. But on the basis that it is, I would interview them. Um, you know, we'll look at their, their particular challenges, as I said, you know, what their hopes and expectations are for the group. So on the basis that they're admitted to the group, then literally it would be, as you said, it, it's sitting in a circle. Um, and, and the twist in this one is, is that um, what I would be bringing in here, because, you know, this is a health issue, so... Uh, what I'd be bringing in, and, and with the with the approval of the group, is is some other practitioners, nutritionists, fitness, uh, mindfulness, for example, is what comes to mind, and they would come and present to the group and make some brief presentations on, on on how men can look at their health in a holistic fashion. So not just the actual mental health thing, but also physical nutrition. They all contribute to to well being. So you know, so the members will have a chance to discuss that through, and and, and uh, so they'd have a theme in, in some of the meetings, discuss it through, and see. It what they might take from some of these alternative approaches, you know, so that, that's, um, that's the way the group would work. It would work, run for 10 weeks, as I said, uh, one and a half hour sessions in Middleton on Friday evening, uh, starting in February, yeah. And someone, Dermot has actually just texted in here and he's making a point that he feels that at the moment it's very hard to be a man in society. He feels that with all these various movements that are going around at the moment, yep. uh, that men are all regarded the same. If one man does something wrong, everybody is in the same boat and he feels that yep. it's, it's hard being a man, yep. either in a workplace or just in society, that there's a well, different approach or a different view now of a man. Do you find that when you're dealing with your own work and, <laughs> and, men, and men come in and, and say that, that they feel yep. not threatened, well, but feel society has changed against uh, men? in general well exactly I'm a man myself I, I can own up to that but I, I have the same challenges so I, I agree completely with, with, uh, with your personal challenges that came in I mean absolutely it's a great challenge how to be man and masculine really you know the, so, you know, man and masculine in, in, in society so 
Yeah, absolutely. A very big challenge. Um, so, you know, uh, so how to do that is, is the issue. And as I said, when people come into me, men come into my work, and that's exactly what is part of it. Like, and it, it's very challenging to a man these days. And uh, so, and again, literally, I, I think that in many ways that's where this group will start from. What is it to be man and masculine in society? I, I, absolutely, I completely agree. Yeah. And then what would you say to John who has texted in and he feels that what we are saying is a load of bull. He says, I don't want to express myself. I don't have feelings. Why is it that everybody needs to express themselves these days? It didn't do any well, harm over the years to anybody. Sure. Well, I've heard John express himself wonderfully there. I mean, that's absolutely, <laughs> we, we, we need that. I mean, if he came into, into the group and expressed that, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a very valid point of view. I mean, but again, you know, and John may have it all sorted out and brilliant if he's worked out all the issues that we're actually talking about here. But but for a lot of people, I mean, getting to the stage where people will actually get to the point where they'll come and speak about it is very challenging. There are some men that can't be as fluent as John with regard to, you know, what's going on. And, and that's, they're the people that I think would benefit a lot from the group and could struggle with, with being able to express it clearly, uh, express their challenges clearly uh, and be listened to, you know. So, uh, and in my experience, being listened to effectively uh, is is the starting point of all change, and I, I laugh actually because you know, I always say this to people that go you know, barbers and to, to taxi men and to you know to people in the bar that that's what they do. They they help us by listening. You know, so what we're doing is we're talking about some of those really good practices and bring them into a group and help others to listen and speak. Uh, it's the simplest. Yeah. And that's a big thing, just to be able to listen to a person and, and take what they are saying, because they're, they're talking for a reason, I suppose, to get it off their chest in a way. We all are. And oftentimes yeah. when we speak, we don't actually know exactly what is that that's the trouble. You know that sort of way? Yeah. When, when people come to me, for example, in, in, in the clinics that I run, there's something going on. Frequently, for instance, they would have been referred by a, by a GP. The GP comes and says, you know what, I've talked to you, but there's nothing organically wrong with you. There's nothing I can do you know, short of actually prescribing medication for you. And there's no alternative to go and speak. And, and really, oftentimes when people come to me, they, they decide, I'm not going down the medication route. I'll come and speak to somebody. And, and we go from there. You know, But it, it, so there's always something else that's driving it. I, I think in a way, if, if a doctor had worked it out, you wouldn't need to come and speak to someone like me. But oftentimes, it's, we don't know what it is. And, and it comes through in the speaking, okay? And, and that's, that's, that's exactly the work that I do. Yeah. And uh, this group of people want to go along to the Men's Positive Living Group that is being set up in Middleton. Now, when is the uh, first meeting and where is uh, it on? Uh, the, the open evening is, is 7.30, 9 o'clock this evening. It's, it's in my place in Middleton. Uh, you can find details of that on Eventbrite. That's the Men's uh, Positive Living Group. You'll find it on Facebook. And if, if those sort of advanced methods are not for all, uh, my number is, uh, is 086-368-8824. Um, so 086-368-8824. Uh, I'd like people to sign up, but it, you know, because uh, I think there's a driver here, Carol Riley, who's a colleague of mine from East Cork Nutrition, is, uh, is doing some favourable scones and buns and things like that, nutritious ones, so I, I wouldn't like anybody disappointed. So if you get a chance, call. But otherwise, you're more than welcome to actually pitch up uh, uh, from 7.30 hours this evening. Yeah. Well, best of luck with it. It's a good, uh, it's a good initiative, and hopefully people will turn up now and will be able to discuss, especially the most serious problems, but also people like Dermot who want to discuss those problems where men are in society today, and and, and they're all welcome tonight uh, uh, for that in my place in Middleton, the Men's Positive Living Group. Best of luck with it, Tom. Thanks for joining Thank us this morning. Thank, Thank you, Thank you. Uh, psychotherapist there from Middleton, uh, Tom Conlon, on that particular initiative going on there this evening in Middleton. If you
you want to get involved in my place from 7.30 tonight in Middleton 1850-333-103 Lines open You can text or WhatsApp 86 103 Good afternoon to you It's Cork Today with you Until 1 Bernie takes your comments 1850-333-103 Or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 86 103 A lot of commentary in From our chat earlier First of all with MEP Brian Crowley Who is not going to seek election This May for the European Parliament He is standing aside uh, from public life and we heard the reason why earlier on from Brian uh, who told our reporter yesterday the reasons why he is uh, and other reporters yesterday as well uh, why he is leaving political life and on that we had a lot of calls in from people who were questioning salaries and all of that and I must say the majority of texts and calls to the show are disgusted at the way people were questioning Brian Crowley and the way they were uh, asking about his salary considering he was ill in hospital. So a lot of people, uh, the majority, have support for Brian Crowley. There was a lot of people asking questions about the salary and why he took the salary. But in fairness to Brian yesterday at the press conference, he did say, ask anything. And because the public were ringing in and asking newspapers and radio stations over the last few years about that uh, that question was asked to Brian and he he answered it straight out and he said that he was handing in sick notes and within the rules of the EU Parliament he was entitled to pay because he was still working from his hospital bed and that was the answer Brian Crowley gave yesterday to all those who were looking for that answer over the last few years well on that and people unhappy with those questioning Brian about that particular issue. Uh, this texter says, during the last few years many workers have suffered harassment by employers while ill uh, calling to homes and sending them for unnecessary medicals that have forced uh, people to travel long distances to attend doctors in order to prove that they were sick in the first place and then when they're certified fit, they tried to make these people to accept redundancy. In many of these cases, employees took redundancy in order to avoid further harassment they felt. Well, this attitude was reflected towards Brian Crowley in the questions that was being asked of him by the public, says that particular texter. While Barry says Brian Crowley represented his constituents very well and it is disgraceful some of the comments we are hearing. And then on the other issue we were speaking about this morning on Gardaí and this is how we had Gardaí uh, well yesterday started on the show it's been picked up from our show what happened yesterday has been picked up on the papers this morning so what is it in news this morning it was Matty McGrath who said he wanted the Gardaí invest and redeploy Gardaí to look into rural crime rather than having Gardaí out breathalyzing people on a Sunday morning before mass or service or indeed before they go to work or dropping off the children to school and all of that kind of thing. So with that, it was make it, what happened on the show yesterday made papers this morning. People are commenting on that and I did ask Michael Moynihan when he joined us earlier on about his view. He agreed with Matty McGrath and Barry on that says the Gardaí bagging people in the mornings. Barry gives great credit to all the politicians who are publicising this. It is important to target drivers in the early hours after the pub closes, not the housewives in the morning after, says Barry uh, to Bernie in 1850 And back to the issue uh, of, of Brian Crowley and people's comments on Brian Crowley. Eileen in Bear Island is very angry at the comments about Brian Crowley. He was a great worker. He still is. We have so many useless politicians who do nothing for us 
and yet they still draw huge salaries, uh, says Eileen on Bear Island to 1850 333103. And Jim on text in both our discussion on Brian Crowley and indeed on the drink driving situation. Uh, Jim says, I agree with Michael, this is Michael Moynihan, uh, that the fear of God is being put into people in rural Ireland and it's all the morning after where a lot of people have to go to work and are afraid to drink in case they are stopped by the Gardaí and we'll see more pubs closed as a result. Shane Ross has this obsession with destroying rural Ireland and would like to have everyone live in towns or indeed in cities. I think Michael Healy Ray is also right in saying people should be provided with a breathalyzer and at least give you an indication if you were safe to drive or not. People are very quick to criticise then Brian Crowley for taking his salary while in hospital and don't think any of those people would swap places with Brian being in a wheelchair and after 20 operations in the last few years or would they be as quick to jump into his grave says Jim on WhatsApp to 0862103103 uh, some of your calls and comments in relation to the issue of Gardaí the way they are dealing with breathalyzing people the morning after and indeed with comments we received earlier on Brian Crowley and we do wish Brian the very best in his future life and whatever he decides to do after he leaves the European Parliament this coming May now to other issues and this was to do with the consumption of meat and yesterday again we had this in the show and it's still making news today and this is how indeed a lot of people are unhappy the fact that we're being told by a number of surveys and a number of organisations now not only here in Ireland but across Europe and across the world that we all need to cut down on eating red meat and we need to also cut down on eating fish and eggs and look towards our increased intake in nuts and indeed in beans because they contain the same nutrients as you would have in red meat. Now we know that Danny Healy Ray and now Michael has come out and other politicians this morning have come out also and they have said uh, that they don't agree with this uh, Danny Healy Ray said if you do a hard day's work you do need an intake of red meat he feels those who give up red meat obviously don't do a hard day's work well Martin in Mitchellstown says it is easy for Leo to cut down on meat is he only pushing a biro if he was doing a real job he would only be happy enough to get a feed of meat says Martin in Mitchellstown do you agree or not agree with Martin on his particular view when it comes to that issue of eating meat a word of warning by the way Marie is on to us from Middleton and had a scam call a number of scam phone calls in the last week she's getting them every day uh, supposedly they're from air telling her that her internet is going down now she is not with air for internet and they are calling from what looks like an 022 number Uh, but of course we do know at this stage the caller ID and the way they set up their phone lines wherever they're calling from to uh, I don't know is it the country code or the, can they make a code up via computer but when they ring your number it always looks like a local number so for Murray and Middleton at this stage when the number comes up it looks like an 022 number but it's not an 022 number the number they are using sometimes it can be where they're calling from in a particular region of a country and the, the area code won't show up or the international code for some reason either won't show up depending on they've obviously tweaked their phone system so that would happen but what does happen is the code of that particular region does show up so the code for example wherever they're calling from could be 22 and it's a separate number totally than any of the numbers here in Ireland but on your caller ID it will show the 022 and what happens is then people are looking at that and realising oh that's someone from the Mallow or North Cork area because 022 is in that region 
Or you could get a call from 026, the McCroom and Midcork area. Or indeed, it could be 024, the Yall area, or 027, the Bantry area, or wherever uh, it could be. Uh, you will get a call looking like it is a local number. And then when you pick up the phone, you realise it's not a local number. But some people do think they're calling then from a local area. So be very aware of that. No matter how many times we tell people it is still a scam, uh, there is no one calling you locally telling you your uh, broadband has gone down. It basically is a scam and they're using the phone numbers so that people here in Ireland then when they look up and pick up their phone and uh, they will see the local 022 or 024 prefix number we're also getting it when you might have no prefix number I've heard calls from Fermoy and Mallow uh, to the show whereby people are for example getting a local number so if I just choose our reception number here uh, 42103 that will come up in their phone but that isn't actually who's calling them Again, they're pinpointing a local number in their country. It will show up on your caller ID, but it shows up, of course, because you recognise the number as a local number uh, here in Cork. And that same number could be a local number in their country. That is how they're getting around that. How they do that, how they exclude the the various codes, I don't know. But so far, that's how we feel uh, they're getting away with it. And of course, then people are falling for it because they see a local number coming up or indeed they see the local prefix coming up and they answer the phone. So stay clear of those. We've got a lot of calls actually across yesterday evening and now again this morning from people who are getting calls supposedly again from air telling them their internet is going down and to do this and that but again as Marie Middleton is saying she is not from air. I know we had a call yesterday from somebody who isn't an air customer either and he got the similar call. Uh, He was in the North Cork area and again he was bringing that to our attention. He's not with air but they were telling him no, you have to do this, you have to do that, you'll be cut off. And I think in the end, he just hung up on them. Anyhow, be aware of those scam calls. They are around and it seems they have increased in the last day or two in the Cork area. And Frank has been on from Carrig Line. Frank is questioning the new Garda Commissioner. Well, not questioning him, but he's saying that the new Garda Commissioner has come out and he has found uh, that we have left over 3,000 youths unprosecuted in this country. But Frank wants to know, why did Noreen O'Sullivan not discover this? Or indeed, the Minister for Justice all the Gardaí are interested in is bagging people the morning after while they're letting off people who do more serious crimes, says Frank. Noreen O'Sullivan should be recalled and made to answer questions on this. Well, this is a story uh, that is coming out uh, and, of course, it is uh, the new Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, who was called uh, the failure to prosecute 3,000 youth offenders, a humiliating professional failure for the Garda Shikona. Now, he has apologised to all those who were victims of the crimes committed by those who were never prosecuted. An internal report into the fourth youth referral system. This report has found that 7,894 cases were where youths were deemed not to be suitable for the diversion programme were not then appropriately dealt with over a seven-year period. About a quarter of the forces officers were involved in these particular cases that has been revealed. And also, uh, Mr Harris has said that he's humiliated uh, for the organisation. One incident of rape, one case of child neglect and one incident of sexual offence were among those cases not properly progressed. and other crimes then within this included public order there was thefts uh, traffic offences and indeed criminal damage so all those uh, weren't taken to the next level uh, no one prosecuted and over 7,000 involved over 7,000 cases involved where youths were deemed not suitable for that diversion programme then of course weren't dealt with appropriately over a seven year period that news coming out uh, this morning again and the fact that Frank is right oh, how come the new Garda Commissioner has come across this 
and why didn't others come across this and where is the Minister for Justice in all of this situation with the Gardaí? It seems to be scandal after scandal uh, with our National Police Force and Garda Shikona. Uh, do you agree with Frank on that and should have others caught that or uh, why has it only come out now? 1850-333-103 Our lines are open or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 You can also email across the weekend if you have something you want to raise in the show you can email jp at c103.ie The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie and bingo is cancelled this Friday night in Ballyporeen Community Centre. That's due to a local bereavement in the area. A concert will be held in St Mary's and All Saints Church of Ireland in Riverstown and Glanmire. That's on tonight from 8 o'clock. Local gospel choirs will take part. Donations are accepted on the night for the upkeep of the church and the Simon community. A free talk for students and parents and options after the leaving search, including the CAO application that will take place this evening in the Allen Institute in Bandon. It starts there at 7.30. If you want to book a place, you can contact the Bandon Tuition Centre to book a place this evening at the Allens Institute in Bandon. Carrigaline Men's Shed, they will hold their annual fundraising table quiz. That's on tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the GEA Pavilion in Carrigaline. All welcome and tables of four with great prizes to be won there on the night. A fundraising concert for Father Tony Coots will be held on this coming Saturday in the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom. Performances by Patrick O'Sullivan and Hugo Duncan. Tickets are on sale in the McCroom area and will also be available on the door at the night that's tomorrow night at the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom and Bandon Vintage Run that will take place on this coming Sunday you can register at 11am at the Old Still Bar near Bandon with rollout time for 1pm proceeds to St Peter's Development Fund and local children's special needs charities raffle is at 4pm then in the Old Still with live entertainment and food and the annual general meeting of the Munster Regional Trout Angling Council that will be held on this coming Sunday at 2 o'clock in the Fairgrove Hotel in Mitchellstown and the Mill Street Vintage Club will hold a host of cars, coffee and chat morning in aid of the Cork Simon community and that is taking place on this coming Sunday from 11am in the Wallace Arms Hotel in Mill Street. All vintage, classic and retro vehicles are welcome. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Uh, just briefly on people being out sick and getting paid and all of that, uh, just have one WhatsApp here saying, I can't understand this situation when it comes to politicians who are out sick and get paid. My sister was very sick last June. She was in hospital, but she couldn't go back to work. Her job paid her for one month and then the social welfare had been paying her for the last seven months. Why did the Brian thing get paid? It is because he is in government rules for one and the hard working person gets 100 euro to live while out sick something is wrong with this particular country well that also goes back to the employer because I know from personal experience when if you are out sick for a long period and you are out sick and, and this would be for like a sister I presume a very uh, ill health a serious illness no matter about not a cough or a cold but a very serious illness it does depend on the company and I had that experience about six or seven years ago at this stage where I was out for a long period of time uh, and the company you, you, that they, you get paid from social welfare and then they will top up your wages to ensure you're on the same salary and that's what happened to your uh, with, with this organisation and I know others who have been seriously ill as well uh, with serious illnesses and they I got the same 
the, you get the social welfare cert, social welfare pays so much and then whatever the balance is between your normal monthly salary and what the social welfare have given you, your company will top that up for you. And some companies are very good. They will do this and, and they will say, we'll look after you for as long as we can. And, and obviously they need to review it if it goes on for longer than six months or 12 or twelve months and you can understand why that is too. Uh, but most companies do honour it. But then you have other companies and you have small organisations who physically can't afford uh, to pay someone if they're out sick they'll honour it for a month or two uh, but after that then they may find it tough to keep paying someone because at the same time when you're, while you're out they have to pay for someone else to do your job so there's two wages go out of a company and if you're a small company uh, that can be a big chunk of money coming out from the daily operation of your company so yeah, I can understand your frustration with your sister and that does happen unfortunately with companies but I think it just depends on where you work and, and if you're working for a smaller company, sometimes that can be the way. It can be the way too. If you're working for a multinational, they can be have rules whereby you can be out just for a month and that's it. Once you're out over a month, you won't get extra pay. If you're out sick, you'd have to depend on your social welfare pay. Uh, that you were entitled to because you would have paid your taxes over a number of years so you were entitled to that uh, while you remain on sick so yeah I, I can see your point when you, when you hear the stories coming out this morning uh, and figures we mentioned for politicians but then on the other side of that some it depends on the company the, the, some companies are very good and they will look after their employees and they will top up that balance and then some companies and you can understand the company's point of view too if, if they're not a big company they don't have the money and they can't match the balance, well then, unfortunately, like your sister, you will have to live in on that €100 Euro a week, which indeed is very tough to do so. And if you're a person in that situation, it can be very hard then to listen to what other people get when they are out sick. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Thank you for your WhatsApp uh, on 0862103103. Then uh, dealing with the issue of drink driving, one person here, when, when they hear comments coming in about drink driving, saying, cop on, if you were drunk uh, on two points, get six hours sleep you would be under the limit the next morning I think there should be more checkpoints at nights and in morning so a person does want more checkpoints and a texter here is saying uh, that would not always agree with Matty McGrath but this week where this person lives he came across a speed trap it was in the dark and he felt that the entrapment was that it was in a 60 miles per hour area uh, and obviously they were trying to catch people going higher and he just felt that that was actually a speed trap and didn't agree with that and agrees that the Gardaí should be out more looking at rural crime rather than uh, catching people for speed or indeed drink driving so mixed views there uh, when it comes to drink driving and indeed uh, uh, rural crime and, and catching people for drink driving in the early hours of the morning uh, mixed views on that some support some don't and a lot of people in touch with us wishing all the best uh, to MEP Brian Crowley who we spoke with earlier in the show as well all the best as he leaves the European Parliament this coming May is not seeking re-election so thank you for those texts as well and now yesterday we got a call early on in the show and uh, we had a very busy show yesterday so I didn't get to this but this came from Mary in the Rathcool area and she was watching uh, breakfast television over the last week and on one of the mornings there was two ladies who were married and had two children but only one of them is recognised as a parent the other lady is not recognised by the state as a parent. What kind of system is that? Is asking Mary because she says the lady who carried the child is classed as an unmarried mother but would not be allowed to claim unmarried mother's allowance because they are legally married. So what type of system have we when it comes to this situation, says Mary in Rathcool. And yeah, you've got to agree, it's it's the catch-22 maybe. It's something, a, a loophole that needs to be looked at. Uh, when you have, in, in this situation, you have two ladies married 
they have two children but only one of them by the state is recognised as a parent and for support then they can't claim what other people would be able to claim with regards to the unmarried mother's allowance. So uh, Mary questioning that and does that need to be changed and looked at? It does now the way they have. Uh, it definitely does have to, have to change. If it's still, in the, I thought the law would have changed when they uh, changed the law with regards to same-sex marriage but obviously it hasn't and I thought they would have looked into that at that time but it hasn't as yet. Anyhow Mary, if that's what you saw on television, thank you for your text and I, I, yesterday earlier as well uh, on the show we were dealing with, uh, this was John and Carrick line. John left a a tiny box on the top of a recycling centre. Now John always recycles recycling all his items and he just forgot a little box he put up on top of the recycling bank when he was putting in his glass bottles he went into his car, drove off, he got a fine of €150. He felt it wasn't fair because he didn't mean it, he genuinely forgot and he recycles all the time. He's questioning then why come on the road he lives near Carrick Line that the road is full of rubbish and he has various items of rubbish that could be recycled and no one prosecuted for that while he was he says for his mistake and only because it was a genuine mistake that he forgot he would not have done that as he uses the, the, the bottle bank a lot over the last few years he also questions then other people who were using the bank because it seems it was full the recycling in, in some of the banks was full and people just left their bottles and cans and whatnot down on the ground so they weren't being recycled but those people also uh, prosecuted as well and we got a few texts from various people in other areas of the county who were prosecuted for forgetting a box if they left it uh, in or near the bottle bank and they do question those then who do go out and illegally dump at least these people say they were trying to make a difference and recycle and it was a genuine error but they were still fined but then a person came on to us yesterday evening and said I uh, was in the Carmichael Lane area of Mallow yesterday and there was cars parked there but I wonder is there any cameras because someone left a bag of ashes in the car parking spot unusual bag of ashes but someone did in the Carmichael Lane area of Mallow someone left a bag of ashes and if there was a camera there well then those people should be prosecuted according to that texter uh, like your caller John was in Carmichael Lane yesterday your views on that welcome 1850 now we uh, we won't get a chance to speak to the CSPCA on that awful story that we heard this morning this is an investigation underway and a dog uh, this is just an awful story a dog set on fire and had his legs broken it occurred in the Glen area of the city north side uh, it was discovered by the Cork Animal Care Society the dog breed it seemingly is a German shepherd uh, and it's not known whether the animal uh, died before or after after the incident there's videos on social media that look like the dog wasn't moving but again no one knows for certain if the dog was alive or not before this uh, but unfortunately the dog um, was set on fire and had his legs broken something we might come back to on the show next week it's just the level of animal cruelty in this particular county, not even country, just in Cork. If it's so many uh, high levels of animal cruelty, it is just unbelievable. And uh, we had one last week uh, from the West Cork area, and now this uh, today from the Glen on the city north side. Awful to hear that is happening. We, we will go back and f- find more, hopefully, and maybe they can find the people who carried out uh, that awful act. Uh, we'll get back to that on the show next week. We'll be going to the movie shortly, by the way, with Mark, but just want to let you know, tomorrow evening, uh, if you're in the West Cork area, you'll be aware the West Cork Sport Awards take place at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carbon.
Carberry. The awards are run in conjunction with the Celtic Ross Hotel ourselves here at C103 and the Southern Star newspaper. The banquet will host all the award winners over 2018 and from 6 o'clock on C103 just across West Cork tomorrow evening I'll be broadcasting live from the Celtic Ross Hotel and I'll be chatting to some of the award winners over the course of the last 12 months of 2018 and we'll be sampling the atmosphere as well from the event in the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry so if you know someone or you're a fan of one of those sports stars, well, tune into that. The West Cork Sports Star Awards live from the Celtic Ross Hotel this Saturday evening from 6pm and that airs on C103 just in West Cork while in North Cork and East Cork and in Cork City, a C103 country uh, that will continue with Michael Dinehy and will be live in Ross Carberry on C103 in the West from 6 to 7. Michael Din will be across the county from 7pm with C103 country. 1850-333-103, lines open. We're heading to the movies with Mark next. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 And as usual, we join Mark Malone for our movie review. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, John Paul. And now, this week you went along to see Holmes and Watson. We'll have a trailer first and we'll chat about that then. Here's the trailer. Your Majesty, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson. What a looker, right? She is stunning. <laughs> I present you, greatest detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes! He's my best friend! Indeed. The insect is infected. One bite means death. Kill it, Holmes. Hold on. Hold. I think I hear it. Holmes and Watson. I feel as I've completely recovered. Uh, yes. Now, it sounds like a different take, anyhow, Mark, on uh, what we know about Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Uh, what is this all about? It's about Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. That's what it's about. And it's about as funny as this. Uh, yeah, the thing about the film is that, um, and, you know, there, there have been Mickey takes on Sherlock Holmes before. There was one called uh, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brothers some years ago. And uh, they tend not to work, and I don't know why. You kind of have to ask yourself, um, is it the fact that, is it to do with the personalities, or what is it about Sherlock Holmes that doesn't work when it comes to kind of making Sherlock Holmes comedies? And this is certainly one of those. I mean, it was, it's been a... a well, the thing is, is that it, it, it cost about forty million to make. Now it has already gotten back about thirty-five million of that, but critically, it has been just completely panned. I think on um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a kind of a nine percent kind of uh, positive rating, which is very, very poor and very, very low for a film that stars John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Uh, Will Ferrell, over the last couple of years, some of the um, material that he's produced has been a bit up and down, but John C. Riley's been flying. You know, he's in Stan and Ollie at the moment, which has done really, really well, and um, he. He's kind of really cock a hoop at the moment, but uh, obviously they're great pals and they've been together and they've made films before. They made Talladega Nights and they made Step Brothers, which uh, a lot of people consider to be a classic. I thought it was okay. I also liked Talladega Nights as well. I thought that was pretty good as well. So, you know, I was kind of looking forward to this. Um, it's directed by a guy called uh, Eaton Cohen. Now, he's not Ethan Cohen, one of the Cohen brothers. This is a guy called Eaton, uh, who uh, also directed um, uh, Will Ferrell in a film called Get Hard. I don't know if you saw that or not, but. Um, which was awful. Um, and so I'm not sure what kind of a, a future career this Eaton uh, Cohen has got, especially after this, because, I mean, the, the movie studio, when they released it, I mean, just before they released it, in fact, uh, they knew they were in trouble because, uh, you know what they do, first of all, when they make a film, they test screen it uh, to members of the public, and, the, and then they talk to the members of the public, and they said, what do you like, what do you don't like, and they really, really rejected it. They didn't like it at all. So Sony, the uh, um, movie studio, decided, well, look, you know, this is 
that we know this is terrible. Let's not release it to cinemas. Let's try and sell it to Netflix. But even Netflix turned around and went, we don't want it. <laughs> it's, oh. it's so terrible. Uh, so they have decided in the end to release it to films, although I believe they didn't show it to critics first, which is always a very, very clever thing to do before it opened. So it's opened quite well. So obviously fans of the two boys have obviously gone to see the film. Um, but I think, um, uh, you know, it won't make any money after the next couple of weeks because I think it will die because uh, you can see why people don't like it. Now, I didn't hate it, I have to admit. I mean, I laughed out loud about eight times. And I've watched Hollywood movies where I haven't smiled or laughed at all. And so, but in between those laughs, you do have to sit through a number of scenes which just don't work. I mean, it, they really, really are poor. And there are a lot of scenes of the two boys just talking to each other. And you do get the impression that they're improvising. And it just doesn't work. And it's a terrible shame. But when it is funny, it's very funny. Now, they do break the fourth wall a lot. It isn't, I think the only way, for me, the only way you can make a funny Holmes and Watson film is for it to be incredibly over-the-top silly. And that's what they did. But unfortunately, they do that, but it's not funny enough. Yeah, and you're right. I did watch the trailer this morning before coming on air. It is humorous. You've got to admit that, and there is points where you will laugh. But if, as you mentioned earlier, if they did make these type of films before and they didn't work, why do they make another humorous one when they know the others weren't as successful? Like, when I think of Sherlock Holmes, I think of old London and a serious enough kind of character. Uh, not this type of character that's been portrayed in this film. Well, the thing is, old London looks great in the film because mm. it does have a, high, a good budget and the production values are really, really good. It's got a great cast. Uh, Kelly MacDonald is in it. Although, do you know the uh, TV presenter Lorraine uh, she has a chat show in the mornings as oh, well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's almost like she's doing an impression of her, and she's oh. very funny. Steve Coogan's in it as well, Hugh Laurie, Rob Brydon, a really, really good cast. And the problem is, is that uh, they're hardly used. Uh, uh, Ray Fiennes plays Moriarty. We hardly see him, which is a terrible pity. It's just basically the two boys just riffing off each other and just having a laugh and enjoying, obviously, each other's company, forgetting that we actually have to watch this stuff. And I think that's a bit of a shame. You know, the film does uh, on, you know, have a lot of modern references. There's a lot of references to like Trump's America there's a lot of references to, to, to gun culture in America uh, there's a lot of modern references to people like Miley Cyrus um, and taking selfies and, and stuff like that um, which don't really really quite work so maybe if they hadn't decided to do that and maybe concentrated on the comedy within the time period that uh, you know it's set for example I believe the um, the Titanic it was the Titanic makes a film and appears in the film but I believe the Titanic wasn't around at the time of Sherlock Holmes um, and uh, you know there are references to, to uh, you know, um, people like Mark Twain makes an appearance, for example, and they would they would never even. Though, I know people say, look, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes didn't exist, but if he did and he, if he was around that time, then there's no way in the world that they would ever bump into each other. So it is. It's a terrible pity. It's a terrible shame. The, you know, there are some lovely moments. I mean, I think um, you know, John Watson's undenying devotion to Sherlock Holmes can be very funny when Holmes is not treating him very well. That's very funny. There are moments when I did laugh. I have to admit. I, out loud a few times there's a scene where all these killer bees escape hundreds and thousands of them and uh, John T. Riley tries to shoot them with his gun I mean that's funny to me and so there are funny moments I believe in America people were walking out of the cinema nobody walked out in the showing that I was there and a few people did laugh and I have to say at no stage was I bored by this in any way shape or form I'm wondering and hoping actually that time might be good for this and maybe in around 10 minutes t- 10 years time when we know what it's like we know how bad it is maybe what people will warm to it Alright well hopefully fans of Will Ferrell and John C. Reilly will warm to that anyhow as well because they do have major roles in the little part I saw of the film out of 10 Mark Yeah I'm, not, I'm going to give it a 5 because I did laugh more 
than I normally do at Hollywood comedies. It's just that the rest of it just isn't very good, yeah. which is a terrible shame. Okay, five out of ten uh, for Holmes and Watson and the DVD and stream that you got. This was the nun. Now, what's this about? Because I have a photo here in front of me, and it looks like a nun, and then there's a kind of a horror face of a nun. <laughs> But a demonic nun, uh, actually. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, 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 it, it's very easy to get confused because there was two yeah. films last year released, uh, two horror films it's called The Nun last year. Uh, there was another one back in 2006 as well. So obviously, um, <laughs> horror makers have a thing about nuns. I don't know, I don't know what that is, but uh, obviously they uh, like to have them on screen. Demonic nuns, scary nuns. Um, the, this one is directed by a guy called Corin Hardy, who directed a, um, a film uh, called The Hallow a couple of years ago, which was another horror film. It's actually written by James Wan, who directed Aquaman. So you would have kind of accept, expect it to be pretty good. Actually, in fact, the story itself isn't actually bad. Now, the thing about this nun is that uh, this nun has kind of terrorized people before. Um, did you see any of the Conjuring films, by any chance? No. There's Conjuring 1 and 2. She was, uh, she was in Conjuring 2. I believe there's a reference to her in Conjuring 1. I don't know, because I didn't see those films. But uh, the nun has made an appearance uh, before. And so that's the thing, and that's part of the first problem. It's been a very disappointing week, by the way, with films, in that we've seen The Nun before, so that when The Nun, which is kind of really, really creepy, and when she does make an appearance, you go, oh, well, okay, but we've seen her before. You know, I don't see what the, the story is. Anyway, so this uh, malevolent force, this demonic nun, is scaring people in Romania. So what um, the Vatican decide to do is they decide to send a priest and uh, a novice nun uh, to Romania to try and confront this uh, nun and um, and to try and figure out uh, how to deal with her. Um, Damien Bircher, who's um, a Mexican actor, who plays the character of Father Burke. Why he's got an Irish name, I have no idea, but it's like they obviously didn't think about it too much. Uh, he is sent there along with this uh, young... Um, uh, this young... Uh, uh, novice nun who's played by uh, Tessa Farmiga who is the sister of Vera Farmiga now I, I thought she was her daughter but um, there's 21 years be- be- between them they're, they're actually six sisters which I didn't realise and she's very very good indeed so and the production values again like uh, Holmes and Watson are actually really really pretty good so the film looks great the problem is, is that the director has obviously seen a number of horror movies down throughout the years and has decided look I'm not going to try anything original I'm going to use every horror trick in the book and you know what exactly that means, yeah. John Paul. You've seen horror movies. Yeah. There are jump scares. There are shadows behind. There are shadows to the, the, the in the foreground and in uh, in the forefront of the film. And so this, the, and the problem is, is that these images come at you thick and fast. But they're not actually that scary. And that's the problem because you know what's coming. You know you've seen all this before. And you're just thinking, this just... Just, just isn't working. In fact, The Nun ended up being on a many people's top ten worst film lists of, of last year. I enjoyed watching Bircher. I enjoyed watching Formiga. I thought they were very, very good. Um, but not once um, was I scared. I mean, the problem is that, of course, you have to engineer some kind of tension, you know, to then catch people out and to scare people. At no stage does the director seem to have the, the confidence to do that. And at no stage does he try anything original. And it's a terrible, terrible, terrible pity. I, I can't recommend it, I'm afraid. God, that's a pity now that they didn't. Even for the horror films, there's so many out there, they could surely think of something original to change it up, especially if there's been one similar to that in the last year as well. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, everything you've seen on, you see on screen, um, you've seen before. And it's a, it's a terrible pity. You know, if you're going to try a, a, a horror movie like this, at least try and come up with something different. Try a little bit of originality and, uh, you know, don't do what everything that's been done before. Okay, so for The Nun with a scary face out of 10? <laughs> the Nun is good. When we see The Nun, it is creepy, so I'll give two points to The Nun. <laughs>
<laughs> two points only for the nod. Okay, low score this week, so I'm afraid uh, five out of ten for Holmes and Watson, and uh, just two out of ten for the nun. Okay, Mark, well, thank you for that. We'll You're chat right. to you again next week. Mark Malone there with our movie review.
Hey, it's Bruno Mars, just the way you are at C103. Can I say hello to Chrissy and Mike? They were on to us before Christmas. They had a Christmas lights display in the Demanway area and they're holding a fundraising presentation dance that's going to be held in the Parkway Hotel in Demanway. And that's going on Friday, 25th of January at 10pm with music by Finbar Dennehy. And then a presentation will be made to Coaction, Demanway Cope Foundation and the Irish Community Air Ambulance funds that they have raised from the Christmas lights display. So well done to all there and let us know how you get on with the funds. I'll chat to you tomorrow evening live from the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry for the West Cork Sports Star Awards. We'll be live from the hotel from 6 to 7, meeting some of the award winners over the last 12 months for the West Cork Sport Awards. That goes out on C103 just across West Cork, while in North East Cork and Cork City, Michael Dinehy is here with C103 Country. So I'll chat to you tomorrow night from Ross Carberry in West Cork. Patricia is back with us on Monday from 10 a.m. with Cork Today. Until then, enjoy your weekend. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced I'm John Paul McNamara. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.